As a kid of the mid-70s and 80s, I grew up in what I think is the best time for pop culture. Comics, movies, TV, it all pretty much rocked. And the only thing better than loving that stuff is getting to talk about it. I'm James Christopher, and this is Fanboy 76. Fanboy 76, we're back. That's right, we are back and ready to jump into October. I'm your host, James Christopher, and look, we are excited to jump into one of the most cinematic holidays out there. We've got a fun episode for you today. Daniel Baldwin is here, and we're going to be looking at the funny side of horror. Now, what's not funny is my love for the Halloween series. I studied in film school. I've actually taught like fun seminars on it. I love it. And what I don't love or even really like at all was Halloween ends. But my faith didn't die because like anything else, Michael Myers comes back. And it looks like that resurrection is coming sooner than later with both the movie and TV rights up for sale. I really hope they go with an expanded universe approach to the Halloween TV show where they look at various aspects of the holiday, what makes it scary, kind of what they intended to do with Season of the Witch and the idea what they were going to do with subsequent Halloween movies until the idea of masked killer as pop culture icon became a thing. For the features, I'm all about them being a venue for Michael Myers, be it a period piece set in the 70s or something modern. I'd love to get away from Laurie Strode and see him just basically go after another group of teenagers. And if it's a modern-day film, just make it a soft reboot. He's not geriatric. He's just there. We all know the origin. So let's dive right into some mayhem. It seems to me the best way to go while separating and still respecting all the movies that came before as opposed to every time they relaunch erasing movies that fans really like. And speaking of respect, we're talking horror comedies today. Comedies and parody are a great way to show love and respect for a genre while still taking it down a notch and deconstructing it just a little bit. But we're about to take this episode up a notch as Daniel Baldwin joins us for the first of a couple of Halloween-themed episodes. And as promised, we've got Daniel Baldwin on this resurgence of Fanboy 76. Daniel, first of all, it's October, the spooky season. I know you're Nightmares Film Festival bound in just a few weeks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It finally cooled down outside here, so it actually feels like fall. What once. is does do you you get fall right? Like you'll have leaves change and stuff like that, or no? We got fall big time when I was a kid. It's not so much now. Um, we seem to be actually getting one this year, but I'd say for most of the past ten years, it's been like 70, 80 degrees outside <laughs> during yeah. Halloween. But this year, it's it's down in the sixties and high fifties right now. So I'm kind of I'm kind of digging it. That's nice. Like I've never grown up in a Halloween at a Halloween in Texas where I didn't have to weigh level of sweat versus how cool I wanted my costume to be. Like it was always a <laughs> thing. Like if you're dressing up as Batman, you're going to sweat. That's always been my experience. One of the things that a lot of writers will talk about is how, um, how comedy and horror they're kind of the can they can be the same thing and, and really the way it's executed in the tone is what makes it one thing but both of them usually come from pain both of them usually come from from stuff so do you get down on the horror comedies or are you pretty much like a straight like 
straight horror kind of guy. Oh, no, I love horror comedies. Absolutely love it. And I even like a lot of levity in my regular horror movies, too. The spoofy ones are fine, I guess, but I tend to like ones that I think feel where they edge really, really close to the actual kind of um, tropes, I guess, of whatever genre that they're making the comedy in. I like it where, again, one thing here or there, and it could be a legitimate scary movie. Yeah, I agree. Um you know, there obviously there's different kinds of horror comedies and there's great examples of each kind. But for the most part, the ones I like the most are where the horror plot within the film is treated completely seriously. And the comedy comes from the reactions to the awful scenario that the characters are in. OK, well, let's do our thing. I know we, we each picked a few. Uh, I will, since you're the guest, go back and go over some of the recommendations that we have for this. What I think is... um and let me re- let me say something that could be borderline insulting, not to you, but to other people, because I was uh, talking to my film students about nightmares. I can't go this year because my daughter's getting married. But she was asking me, like, oh, what is a horror film festival like? And I was like, well, you know, it's a, there's a lot of different kind of people there because a lot of different kinds of horror. But the ones that take themselves too seriously are the, always the ones that are dressed like morticians. And they're the, always the ones who I don't I feel like don't like the comedic like it's got to be a thing. That is serious. So um, I, I, you and I get along on, on so many things, and I love that that's one of them. So what is what is one of your first suggestions for folks as far as just a good horror comedy they might enjoy this time of season? It's hard not to immediately go to uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as kind of like the big one that kicks things off. But and of course, even one that Universal Monsters train. I mean, you can count Bride of Frankenstein as that because it's almost more of a comedy than it is a horror movie. But mm-hmm. Yeah, both both of those, particularly Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, are just kind of great ways to ease into the spooky season. You know, it definitely fits the description because they made that film like it could have definitely fallen in line with the. Re- I mean, it could, of course it does; it's canon. But you're right the the com- the comedy comes from Abbott and Costello doing their thing, but now they're doing their thing in response to uh, Frankenstein or any of the other interactions they've had with some of the horror icons. Yeah, yeah, all you'd have to do to uh, just turn it into a regular universal horror movie is if you just yanked those two out and put two, you know, regular actors into it. And it wouldn't change the plot at all. It would just change the tone of the film, which is, you know, it's it's just really fun. Um, <laughs> and they're kind of reacting to the monsters the way that any normal person would. And a good modern version of that, well, more modern, it's not so modern now as I'm getting older, but a good modern version of that is Monster Squad. We need to get into a Monster Squad discussion because I'm Team Goonies, and I do think you got to be one or the other. I'm sure you'll figure out a way to explain to me why you can be both. Where is it? I saw a hand there. You don't know what you're talking about. You're all excited reading this legend. Now listen. Listen, Wilbur. I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know there's no such a person as Dracula. But does Dracula know it? It's maybe easy, but if you've not seen Young Frankenstein, I'm sorry, Young Frankenstein, um... Again, kind of the same thing, you know, and and I love the story behind it because Gene Wilders, who brought the script to Mel Brooks, and I guess as, as I understand, there was a, some horse trading going on. You'll do Blazing Saddles if you do Young Frankenstein, but I remember the rule being you you know you can't be in the movie and it can't be too over the top because that is a film outside of a couple of beats that it could have easily 
again, like you were saying, you change a couple of characters out. Could have easily been a straight horror movie. Um, I will say though, um, and I'm going to put this clip in the scene. Every time I watch that movie and they get to the putting on the Ritz scene, I laugh like I've never seen it before. That might be the funniest scene in any movie ever. And my wife constantly makes fun of me. She's like, you've seen this a hundred times. And I'm like, and I know. And it's funny every time. Your thoughts on that movie? Uh, it's wonderful. And uh, the putting on the rich thing is extra hilarious because kind of up until that point in the movie, it's really just Wilder and Brooks remixing and uh, satirizing very specific Universal Monster references. I mean, um, what Peter Sellers is the uh, inspector, right? <laughs> He's yeah. constantly doing the, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That character is straight out of *Son of Frankenstein*, except it's just not played for laughs in that movie. And like, he just recycles a lot of classic Universal tropes and then puts the satirical edge on it. But what makes *Putting on the Ritz* brilliant is you get up to that point in the movie and you don't expect anything like that to happen. You expect it to keep following along with the Universal Monsters formula, and it goes out of left field, and it's absolutely hysterical. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? <laughs> Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Probably American Werewolf in London would be my number two. And the other one where the horror element is pretty horrific and played yeah. straight the entire way through. And it's just David Naughton and Griffin Dunn hysterically reacting to every awful thing that's happening around them. That movie, I remember um, vividly. Like there was moments in my life where I remember being scared. The first time I saw the transition when he transforms in that, I mean, it's horrific. It reminds me of, had a similar reaction when in Terminator, when he cuts his eye out and you just like, it's sort mm -hmm. of that gross body humor. Um, what was your thoughts of the American werewolf in Paris, the sort of pseudo sequel? Um, I kind of thought that was kind of fun. I mean, I don't know if it was great, but. I think it would be better respected if it didn't have, if it was just a movie that was an homage to American word of being an actual out right sequel to it um i think that dings it a lot in people's eyes because you know when you're talking about what's possibly a masterpiece when you make a fun but lesser movie it just pales in comparison and it get, automatically gets trashed in the process but i think it's fine for what it is yeah it's got some really funny moments in it too i think back to the original one obviously and if you don't know the story of john landis his career and why it's you know justifiably over um yeah over ish but I do think it's it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs because he's a great talent because he does American Werewolf of London and then he also does the thriller video and he does Trading Places like this guy really could have had a long and diverse career had he not you know killed some people. Jack was right. Jack is dead. Yeah, Jack is dead and six people are dead. There's gonna be a full moon tonight. I'm going to the cops. Oh, be serious, would you? Excuse me. My my next one is going to be a, it's a little less well. I've had two that are a little less well known, uh, but I I love Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and it, it's a I think a great introduction to the horror comedy because 
it's essentially both groups of people are kind of in a horror film where they think the other group of people are the perpetrators of said horror and all of the accidents that are sort of led to creating this like serial killer um the serial killer sphere i think it's just so well done um movies like that and i was real high on the i can't even think of his name right now but he was on that really great um show about the devil the devil's son working at a hardware store why am i freezing but um yeah no i just think that movie is fantastic and really simply hilarious and really bloody too and i think the blood really plays to help add to the laughs in that particular one yeah, the uh, the gore effects in that one crank it up to another level because it just adds to the ridiculousness of the entire you know scenario. And I'm sure part of your affinity for it is that you know Tucker and Dale are rednecks. You grew up in Texas. I live in West Virginia and have been here my whole life, so we know those kinds of people. <laughs> I mean, we already picture people. that scenario. We're related so to some of those people. I mean, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> So placing them in that scenario just just adds an extra layer of funny to it that it might not for other people, but it, that movie is absolutely hilarious. And I and that I don't remember that having a theatrical run. I remember it just kind of showing up um, on home video and on streaming. I'm sure it did a limited run in the bigger cities, but it didn't come out in my area. I know that I didn't see it until it hit um, streaming. Who wants to go skinny dipping? <laughs> We got your friend! They captured Allison! Oh, it's the pancakes! You hate pancakes, I'm, I'm gonna make you something else. All right, so now before we get to Daniel's third one, the name of the show that I was talking about is Reaper, Ray Wise is the Devil. Absolutely uh, check it out. My parents sold my soul to the devil. You lucky bastard. What? Well, nothing cool like that ever happens to me, man. One slacker. Do I have to go to hell now? You're gonna work for me here. You're just gonna bring escaped souls back to hell. You know, like a bounty hunter. That's cool. Condemned. There's your fugitive. Broke out of hell after 50 years for arson. Oh, God, gag me. Look at that tool. You capture him already? To a living hell. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be your stupid bounty hunter. You will do it. Or I'll take your mother. Well, then what do you want me to do? I mean, how am I supposed to capture him? This will help. A vessel handcrafted in the bowels of perdition by the iniquitous and the vile. Oh, I forgot. You you got 600 on your SATs, didn't you? The Final Girls, which is another people being killed in the woods thing. Uh, in this particular case, it's a send-up of Friday the 13th movies with a bit of a meta twist because the our lead is sucked into the 1980s horror movie that her mother starred in when she was young and it's after her mother's death so she gets to hang out and um, go through her grieving process with the film version of her mother in the middle of a slasher movie and it's actually really fun and really sweet i love that movie too and very inventive and i know like the minute you say just the idea of the meta thing it, it really is it really is sweet and really really is inventive guys somebody's coming do you guys know the way to Camp Bluefinch? Tina! So, we're in the movie. Oh, hi. What's your name? Max. 
behind the mask, the Les- legend of Leslie Vernon. And you could debate whether it's a comedy or not because it's really, really dry. But I just love the idea that um, a world exists in which Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and all these other guys are real people. There's this society of of and a guy's training to become the next uh, the next Max Axe murder, and he brings a documentary crew to follow him through his training and then do his first kill. And it does end pretty in a pretty bloody, pretty well done slasher thing. But the run up to it is just incredibly dry. And I think very, very funny. I absolutely love that movie to a point where I'm completely bummed out that the follow-up they wanted to do never got made. And that's that follow-up that every once in a while it surfaces where, um, oh, it still could happen. It's like the, it's, you know, it's like the last Starfighter 2. Like those two movies, they're going to come out the same yeah. year. That's going to happen. You have no idea how much cardio I have to do. It's ridiculous. There's that whole thing of making it look like you're walking. And everybody else is running their ass off. Everybody thinks we just wake up one morning and start obsessing about a girl and start stalking her, killing everybody that gets in the way. That does seem to happen a lot with you guys. So that does wrap up the first episode of season two of Fanboy 76. And we've got some more horror Halloween fun. We're going to do a little Hitchcock next episode. And we are going to be back to talk about The Exorcist, both the new movie and some of our favorites of what has been a very mixed series. But before we go, I want to talk a little bit more about Halloween and my order of watching the movies. The timeline is wonky, and I can enjoy all of them, but I do have a preferred screening order of Halloween from 1978, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O, and then Halloween 2018. Now, while there's no narrative connection, the removal of the sequels post-Halloween does present some character issues. If the only attacks that occurred were the ones in 1978, and if Michael and Jamie aren't siblings, and if he never once broke out of an asylum, why is she freaked out? There's no reason for Michael to go after her, so we've now erased motive and opportunity. Because again, he's been in a cage for 40 years. It honestly doesn't make logical sense where her character is living. And while I understand the need to break away from a heavy weighted down continuity, the character perspective of Lori doesn't add up. The reason I like going from 78 to Halloween 2 to 20 years later to 2018 is we see the transformation from someone who is pursued relentlessly, seeing dozens of people killed around her to someone who's Coping the way most of us would as a functional alcoholic who is afraid of her own shadow. Look, I know today is the day, but I think... Oh, really? What day is that, John? Halloween. I hadn't noticed. To someone who's finally ready to fight, and then in 2018, as she's ready for another reunion, it makes some sense that she's become an uber prepper because she knows deep down, just like in Jaws, he's coming back. It just doesn't make much sense to me from a character perspective for her to go from scared teenager at 18 to hardcore, intense Rambo grandmother at 58 with nothing happening in the middle. So that's why we need those middle beats. Other than that, she's just a crazy shut in that we should actually be more afraid of her than we are of Michael. 
Her going from 18 to 58 and crazy just doesn't feel earned to me. But what is earned is that we will be back next week, and we're very excited because we're going to be talking about the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. And then the week after that, we are going to be talking Exorcist Believer and the Exorcist series. We just want to give everybody a chance to actually see the movie so we don't spoil anything because we are considerate, considerate people. So to borrow a phrase from some people who are a lot more famous than I am, who used to talk about movies, while I won't see you at the movies, I guess we'll see you online after we've been to the movies. I know, it needs some work.